One of the most comforting pictures of our everlasting security in Christ is one that Jesus, our good shepherd, paints in the 10th chapter of John's gospel. Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. No matter what evils Satan may throw at us, or forms of tribulation that he may craft in order to attempt to deceive or Destroy those who belong to Jesus, we are held safely in Jesus' hand. And the hand of Jesus is held safely by the Father's hand. What an amazing picture that is. This double-layered protection from outside, in addition to the seal of the Holy Spirit on the inside, ensures our everlasting Safety. Mark 13 contains the final sermon that Jesus preached before his betrayal and death. It's called the Olivet Discourse because he and his disciples were on the Mount of Olives when he preached it. And while looking westward at the breathtaking beauty of the Jewish temple, Jesus warns his disciples about its soon to be destruction. But he also warns them and all who will read his warnings afterward about horrific events that will take place at the end of the age. To get the full picture, I want to read a harmony of the accounts of this sermon, or this part of the sermon, written by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all woven together. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her And let not those who are in the center or in the country enter her. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In those days there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world, which God created, until this time 
no, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. But take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after those days of tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. It will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now when these things begin to happen, look up, and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. In light of Jesus' predictions concerning the end of the age, there are two responsibilities before us. Number one, learn to rest in the sovereign rule of God. Learn to rest in the sovereign rule of God. As Jesus paints a picture of a horrific time of suffering and tribulation on the earth, he assures those who are listening and those of us who read afterward that God is sovereign over all of this. In verses 14 through 23, Jesus describes an unparalleled time of suffering and judgment that is to come upon the world. However, Jesus reassures, reassures the believing reader that God is sovereign over this horrible time. It may look like the world is out of control, but God is still on his throne. Verse 20 makes it clear, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. The very fact that Jesus predicts these events should give us great encouragement and 
to help us to persevere and not lose heart, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labors for him are never in vain. Truly, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The Apostle Paul asks that question, and then he answers, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What will this terrible time of tribulation be like? Well, Jesus tells us in this passage in Mark 13. It will be a time of unprecedented pain and suffering and judgment from God. Verse 14 tells us that the people will flee the holy city. They will head to the mountains, which they did first in A.D. 67. Verse 15 tells us that they will flee so quickly that there will be no time to return to their homes or to even grab a coat. And so Jesus says in verse 18, pray that it doesn't happen in winter. According to verse 17, pregnant women will be especially vulnerable along with those who are still nursing. In verse 19, it will be a tribulation like the world has never seen before or ever will see again. The Believer's Bible Commentary says this, the Lord Jesus is not speaking here about the general type of tribulation which believers in every age have encountered. This is a period of trouble unique in its intensity. Matthew's gospel calls it a great tribulation, such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. As we learned last week, Jesus warns us to watch out. To watch out for an increase in false prophets and false Christs. And he says this again for us this morning in verses 21 and 22 and he says if then if anyone says to you look here is the Christ or look there he is do not believe it why for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible the elect these false prophets these false Christs will lead people astray by performing signs and wonders by the power of Satan himself. And these satanic miracles will even tempt believers to fall away. But God will preserve the elect, Jesus says. True believers who are alive at that time will not be deceived, but they will be kept safe by God. These false prophets are antichrists, the little a, the 
kind we read about in 1 John 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So Scripture refers to any false prophet and any false Christ as an Antichrist, little a. But Scripture also says that there is the ultimate Antichrist who will appear in the last days. Look at verse 14. We see that this time of great tribulation will be marked by the rise of a blasphemous leader who will set himself up as God. He will desecrate the temple by placing an image of himself there. He is referred to, notice, as the abomination of desolation who stands where he ought not to be. Matthew identifies this evil man as the one who is mentioned by Daniel the prophet. Daniel 9 in verse 27 says that on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. The disciples had asked about the time that these things would take place, but Jesus did not answer the question. He didn't give them a time, for no one knows the time. Instead, he speaks of the condition. In other words, what will things be like when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom? Like we learned last week, Scripture demonstrates a pattern of multiple fulfillments of prophecy. Historically, men like this one, men like this abomination of desolation, are still remembered to this day. The first time was in 167 B.C. The abomination of desolation was a Syrian king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He captured Jerusalem and desecrated the temple by offering the sacrifice of a pig, an unclean animal to the Jews, offered a pig on the altar in the temple. And he offered it to Zeus. The second time was in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And after the city fell, the emperor Titus offered pagan sacrifices that never should have been even brought into the city. But there will be another one, the final and ultimate abomination of desolation. Clearly, the Holy Spirit conveys to us in verse 14 that Jesus is not just speaking here of something that would happen right now to these disciples in their time, but let everyone who reads this sermon from here on out also understand these things. The Apostle Paul describes this satanic man of sin in his second letter to the Thessalonians. Look there with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This man of sin or the abomination of desolation is described by the Apostle Paul with striking 
clarity and similarity to what Jesus warns us of. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawlessness, the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and will bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. The apostle makes it clear that the exaltation of the Antichrist will not take place until he who now restrains the lawlessness decides that it is time for him to arise. This is the sovereignty of God over even the greatest evil that is to come. In our world. Until the sovereign God chooses to reveal the Antichrist, the increased lawlessness in our world will remain a mystery. Jesus assures us that the days of tribulation are under the governance of God, He will control the length of that awful time for the sake of the elect. So Paul says what Jesus said. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived by false prophets. Do not be deceived by false Christ. Do not even be deceived by people who under the very power of Satan himself are able to perform miracles. Please understand that every miracle is not necessarily from God. That Satan is the master counterfeiter. You see, even as far back as the book of Exodus and the things that the evil leaders 
in Egypt were able to do. When God's judgment falls upon the world at the end of the age, we should be comforted to know that God will care for and protect those who belong to him. But when will these times be? It's known only to God. It is known only to God. The apostles asked that same question after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and before his ascension. They were meeting in an upper room in Jerusalem and they asked him, when are you going to come back? When are you going to set up your kingdom? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that have been fixed by the authority of the Father. Your business, Jesus said to them, your business is the work of evangelism. Your business is the work of gospel advance. Gospel ministry is to be your focus. And the same is true for us today. It is not for us to know the time of the Lord's return. Our business is to do the work of evangelism. Our business is to do the work of the ministry. Our business is to see that the gospel is spread and advances in this world. That is to be our Focus while we rest, while we rest in the sovereign rule of God. In the light of what Jesus teaches here about the end of the age, there is a second responsibility, and that is live in hope of the glorious return of Christ. Live in hope of the glorious return of Christ. According to verse 24, Jesus now describes what will happen after that tribulation. He says, in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken And when they see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Here Jesus describes cosmic events that will take place immediately before his return. The events described here are very similar to those that Jesus reveals to the Apostle John in that massive revelation that we know of as the book of the Revelation. And Revelation describes all kinds of judgments. Seven seals and trumpets and bowl judgments. It speaks of catastrophic 
judgments on earth and upheavals in the stars and the planets of outer space. Then Jesus says in verse 26, they will see the Son of Man. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. In verse 27, Jesus will send the angels to gather the true believers who are left on earth and those who know Jesus will enter his kingdom and receive the everlasting life that he has promised to those who believe in him. His return is described by John in Revelation 19, if you'll turn there, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. I love this passage. Horses have always been my favorite animals. And um, so this, this really gets me. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John clearly says that there is a massive difference between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. When Jesus came the first time, he came as Savior. He offered himself as the one and only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. He died upon the cross in our place. He was raised from the dead, and now he offers life to everyone who will come to him by faith. He is the Savior. But there is a time coming, God's word says, a time still yet to come when Jesus will come again. And this time, he will not come as Savior. He will come as judge. He will judge the world in righteousness. Are you ready for that judgment? passage says that he will be clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Let me ask you this morning, have your sins been washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you trusting in yourself 
something that you have done or something you still could do in the future to, to cause God to forgive you. The passage says that he will return with armies of believers who are clothed in white linen. Have you received the righteousness of Jesus by faith? The Bible says that at the moment we turn away from our sins to Jesus, he takes our sins away and he gives us his righteousness. He clothes us in a white robe of perfect righteousness. And this is a gift. This is a gift from God. It's what enables us to stand before the holy God, secure, with no fear of judgment, because Jesus has already endured our judgment for us. If you do not know in your heart that your sins have been forgiven and that you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ and you are now clothed by the righteousness of Jesus, let me urge you to turn to Jesus today. Run to him. Run to him with empty-handed faith, nothing to offer to him, but just to receive from him the mercy that you need the grace that you need. And he will welcome you into the family of God. Jesus warns us of what the future holds. However, I think it's unfortunate that when the subject of the end times comes up, Christians spend most of their time and energy looking for signs and wonders and debating the time that these events will take place and we miss we miss the greatest benefit of the doctrine of the return of Christ the doctrine of the return of Christ is supposed to compel us toward humility and holiness and hope We should live in a state of constant expectancy, longing for his return. We should be excited that he could return at any moment. This is our blessed hope, Scripture calls it. When we see Christ, we will experience the full benefits of what it means to be in union with him. Understanding that God alone knows the times and seasons of when his kingdom comes should move us toward humility. And the fact that we don't know when he's coming back should fuel our drive for holiness. And it should feed a hope within us. It should cause us to fight hard at putting sin to death so that we are not ashamed at his coming. The promised return of Christ gives us assurance and that, that, he, that we are safe in Christ, that we can persevere in suffering. 
whether it's bodily or whether it is spiritual suffering that comes from God's enemies, the present suffering we have in this life is not worthy to be compared to the glory that he is going to bring to us. And we should intentionally serve the Lord with every breath that he gives to us. We should want to be found serving him with everything that we have when he returns. Not sitting back, doing nothing, waiting, but actively serving him in anticipation and hope that he is coming again. We have only one life to live. And we should want it to count for Christ. These are benefits. Motivational benefits, you might call them. To thinking about the return of Jesus. Considering that, I thought it would be beneficial for us to recite the return of Christ part of our doctrinal statement together this morning. Would you do that with me? Would you stand? And let's recite this statement of faith that comes from our doctrinal statement. Let's say it together in a unified voice, and then we will remain standing to sing. We believe... Can you say it with me? We believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and, as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. And so God, help us to keep this focus in our hearts and in our minds, Lord. Help us to not get so caught up in trying to guess the time that Jesus will come again, but instead cause us to be striving to be holy, learning to be humble, and living each day in hope, in hope that this world is not our home. We're just passing through, that we will be with Jesus someday. And then and only then will we finally, finally be home. Oh God, cause this longing for our heavenly home to build within our hearts that we may be ready when Jesus comes again. In his name we pray. Amen.